In this week's Torah portion, we learn the laws of Nazirus, when a man or a woman choose to separate themselves in sanctification to God. In Perak Vav, chapter 6, Psukim Gimel and Dalid, verses 3 and 4, the Torah teaches that a Nazir may not imbibe wine or wine products and consume or consume fruits of the vine dried or wet. As well, the Psukim teach us, Ta'ar lo ya'avar al reishay, ad malais hayomim, asher yazir lahashem, kodesh yihye gadel fera sa'ar reishay. In verse 5, we learn that throughout the term of the vow, no razor shall touch the head of the nazir, leaving the hair consecrated until the completion of their determined time as nazir. The hair must be left to grow unattended. And then in verse 6 in Pasuk Vav, Kol yemei hazirei lahashem al nefesh meis lo yovei. A nurse, a nazir, may not go into the space where a corpse lies all the days of his nazirus. In these laws, the prohibition of wine and the prohibition of cutting one's hair and the prohibition of being in the space of a dead body are determinations regarding a nazir for a set time, 30 days or more, and prohibitions regarding a nazir oilam, one who is a Nazareth for life. The difference between them is only in that a temporary nazir may not touch his hair, until he concludes his Nazarite vow. And a Nazir for life may cut his hair when it becomes too heavy or unruly once a year, which is also when he will bring the sacrifices that he must bring when cutting his hair. But there is an additional category of Nazir not explained, but discussed in Navi, in fact, in the Haftarah of this week's Torah portion, called the Nazirus of Shimshain. In the book of Shaftim, we read in chapter 13, Perakid Gimel, that at a most difficult time in Jewish history, a Malach Hashem, an angel of God, appeared to the wife of Manoyach. She had been barren, and the Malach Hashem said to her, You will conceive and bear a son. He then instructed her to henceforth not drink wine or eat any of the foods not permissible to a Nazir. You will be pregnant, said the Malach. You will bear a son. Let no razor touch his head, for he is to be a Nazir, consecrated to God from the womb onwards. Shimshain is also considered a Nazir Oilam, a Nazir for life, but not all the laws of Nazirus apply to him, and he is permitted to be in the presence of a corpse. There are as well some additional laws relevant specifically to a Nazir Shimshain. Therefore, according to Rav Yehuda, as quoted in the tractate Nazir, and also taught by Rambam, by Maimonides, if one declares himself a Nazir, like Shimshain, he may not drink wine or cut his hair, but he is permitted to become impure by being in the presence of a corpse. It's the conclusion of the tractate of Nazir in the Mishnah that we learn Nazir Hoya Shmuel. The prophet Shmuel was a Nazir. 
So says Ravi Naharai, based upon what it says in the book of Shmuel. A razor should not go upon his head, just as it says regarding Shimshin. A razor should not pass over Shimshin's locks. Regarding both Shimshin and Shmuel, it says, Just as it is written regarding Shimshin, who was a Nazir, so it is, says Rabbi Naharai, regarding Shmuel. Rabbi Yaisi, however, says differently. He says, Umayra loyala means that Shmuel had no fear from the word Moira, though it's written with a hey of another human being, to which Rabbi Naharai counters. It says in the book of Shmuel that Shmuel said, Ech elech ushama Shaul vahargeni. How can I go? Shaul will hear about it and kill me when Hashem commanded him to go to anoint a new king over Israel. Clearly then, he was afraid of man. The following begs understanding. Rabbi Naharai's determination that Shmuel was a Nazir, based upon a Gzeras Shava, a Torah tradition of a known rule applied to a new situation or phrase, Shimshin's circumstances applied to Shmuel, Nekzeira Shava can be, can't be applied only halfway, so everything about Shimshin would then have to apply to Shmuel is problematic, as the Rambam determined that Shmuel, Haramasayim, Nazir Oilam Haya, that Shmuel, who came from Ramasayim, was a Nazir for life. And this would mean all the laws of Naziris apply to him including the law that he is prohibited from being in the presence of death. And then when his hair became too heavy, it was permitted for him to cut it once every 12 months and to bring the three animal sacrifice at that time. And that he can question his Naziris and it could be nullified. But we know that a Nazir Shimshin may come in contact with death and a Nazir Shimshin does not cut his hair, and he cannot challenge his Nazirus. In addition to this question, in the Tractate of Nazir in the Jerusalem Talmud, we learn that Nazirus Shimshin is not regular Torah law, and Nazirus, excuse me, of Nazirus, and Maimonides determines that Shimshin was not a complete Nazir, but a unique category of Nazirus. So how can we learn that Shmuel is a Nazir Oilam from Shimshin's Nazirus with all the laws of Nazirus? Commentaries respond to this question saying that it's not through Exera Shava that we learn about Shmuel's Nazirus from Shimshin. Rather, it's a different word usage that the word Myra in the context speaks to the idea of Nazirus just like it does by Shimshin. It's not Moira as in fear, as Rabbi Yisich suggests, and itself understood that Shmuel's mother intended with this for Shmuel to be a Nazir, Moira Loyala al-Rashi, all his life. The challenge here, though, is the terminology in the Mishnah, which does seem to point to a Shava, a lesson learned from another case, saying, 
regarding Shimshon, the verse, Ne'emar b'shimshon u'moira, as it says, a razor should not pass over his head, his hair, v'ne'emar b'shmuel u'moira, and so it says regarding Shmuel u'moira, and ma moira ha'amura, just as it means Nazirus for Shimshon, so it means for Shmuel. This phraseology is the common phraseology used in teaching a Gzeira Shava, Ma Moira Hamura. This is common phraseology in showing that there is a Gzeira Shava. More so, and perhaps most significant, is the fact that the word Moira is associated with his status as Nazir, with no attempt to explain Moira using the word Ta'ar, a blade, for example. So it's not about the word Moira used in both cases. This is about the status of Nizirus of Shimshon that teaches us about the status of Shmuel. The Gemara on the Mishnah then states as follows, in a seemingly completely unrelated thought, Rav said to his son Chia, my son Seize the opportunity and recite a blessing over the cup of wine poured for grace after meals quickly. And so too said Rav Huna to his son Rava. The question the Gemara presents is whether making the blessing is preferable to saying amen to a blessing. Is it not taught in a brisa that according to Rav Yesi, answering amen to a blessing is greater even then making the blessing. And this is confirmed, the Gemara continues, with a statement of Rabbi Nehorai, who says, Hashamayim, by the heavens, this is profoundly true. Just as a foot soldier, he continues, begins the war, and the warrior follows and wins it. Yet the Gemara teaches that this is disputed among the sages, as there is a brisa which teaches that in exalting God's name, both one who blesses, Echod HaMevorech, and the one who responds with Omen Ve'echod HaOyna Omen, are included in this exalting of God's name. But in heaven, they are quick to reward the one who blesses first. What exactly is the connection between what reads like a passage in the Tractate of Brachis, and in fact is quoted in the Tractate of Brachis, to the Talmudic discussion in the section of Nazir. There are commentators who say that this is so that a teaching of Rav Nahorai, who is seldom quoted in the Talmud, is followed with another teaching of his. As well, the teaching also quotes Rav Yesi. This is challenging as the Gemara does not in fact begin with the words of Rabbi Yesi, who is of the opinion that answering Amen is greater. Rather, it can, begins with the words that Rav said to his son Rav Chia, that he should be quick in answering, rather in seizing the opportunity of making a blessing over the cup. As well, as well if this is the reason, why begin with the Gemara, that in fact negates the opinion of Rabbi Yossi and that of Rav Nahorai. And finally, while in the Mishnah Rabbi Yossi and Rav Nahorai disagree, 
in the Gemara, they're actually of the same opinion. Then we have a further challenging issue. When we look at the conclusion of the Gemara, we really can't understand its connection to the Mishnah and to the Gemara. The conclusion teaches, Amar Rabbi Lazar, Amar Rabbi Hanina. Rabbi Lazar said in the name of Rabbi Hanina, Talmidei Chachomim Marbim Sholem Ba'olam, She'ne'emar V'chol Ba'nayich Lumudei Hashem, V'rav Sholem Ba'nayich. Torah scholars increase peace in the world, for it's written, all your children study the teachings of God, and there is great peace among your children. Even if we were to suggest that this is the conclusion, so that the tractate finishes on a pleasant note, there really still needs to be some sort of connection to the discussion, previous discussion. And in fact, there was already a pleasant note. We were just talking about the idea of blessings. That could have been a pleasant conclusion. Then in the Gemara itself, there are some details that demand clarification. What is Rav Norai adding to Rav Yesi's teaching that the one who responds with Amin is greater than the one who blesses by saying with these words that Rav Norai says, Hashamayim, by the heaven, swearing that it's so, and that it's the foot soldiers who begin the war and the warriors who come then and win it. As well, the quote at the conclusion of the Gemara, the Chobanayich Lumude Hashem, repeated several times throughout the Talmud, is said with the additional words, Altikri bonayach ela boinayach. Don't call them children, call them builders. But it's not quoted as such here. Why not? To clarify this all, we'll look at a question that the Radak asks. How did Shmuel become a Nazir? asks the Radak. It cannot be from Hannah's vow, because before Shmuel's birth, a vow would have no impact. And then again, if Hannah made that vow after his birth, it still wouldn't have an impact, because only a man can vow Nazirus for his son, not a woman. If we were to suggest that Elkanah also made a vow after Shmuel's birth, why is there no mention of this and only mention of Hannah's vow, which does not make Shmuel a Nazir? We also can suggest that Hannah made the vow and Elkanah affirmed her vow, giving it plausibility. Because if Hannah said this before his birth, it's still not viable. And if Shmuel was already born, Elkanah's affirming Hannah's vow can't make Hannah's vow any more valid if a woman can't make a vow designating her son a Nazir. We must ask similarly regarding Shimshon. The Rambam states that Shimshon was not a complete Nazir, which tells us that Shimshon had the sanctity of a Nazir, not only that he behaved as a Nazir by abstaining from wine and from cutting his hair, yet he was not a complete Nazir because he had not taken the vow of Nazirus. It was rather that an angel determined his Nazirite status. And while a Malach can give over a divine commandment or directive or even declare the future, we have no source that tells us that a malach can determine Nazirus. So we have asked the question regarding Shmuel's status as a Nazir. Now we're turning and asking 
regarding Shimshin's status as a Nozir. According to what Maimonides teaches, what Maimonides teaches, we also cannot suggest that Shimshin's father Manoyach determined Nazirus upon his son, because the Rambam says it was the angel who did that. More so, looking at the story in Tanakh in the book of Shaftim, we see clearly that the angel instructed Manoyach's wife how to comport herself henceforth and during her pregnancy and how to handle the child. And when Manoyach, her husband, did ask the angel, What should the comportment of the child be? The angel answered with instructions for his wife to follow everything he had told her and gave no instruction to Manoyach for Shimshin. So if both Shimshin and Shmuel were determined to be Nazarites via a father vowing that his son would be designated as a Nazir. Yet in Tanakh we read of the events in the this way for Shimshon and with Hannah for Shmuel. How is this considered halacha Sinai absolute Torah law? To explain, we need to look at the following points. It's impossible to say that Shimshon and Shmuel were Nazarites because they took Nazirus upon themselves. There is absolutely nothing in the verses in Tanakh that says this, and regarding Shimshin, the Rambam explicitly tells us so. On the other hand, from the wording of the Mishnah, Shene'emar, Umayra loyala al for it says, a razor shall not pass upon his head. Ne'emar b'Shimshin umayra, v'ne'emar b'Shmuel umayra, it says Umaira regarding Shimshin, and it says Umaira regarding Shmuel. Umaira for Shimshin speaks of his Nazirus, and so too it means the same for Shmuel. And this is a reference to the angel's instruction regarding Shimshin and to Hannah's vow regarding Shmuel. These were clearly the events that determined their Nazirus. To understand the seeming dichotomy, we will first look at a similar halacha. When a small child who was converted alone or t- together with his father grows up and matures, he can object to and nullify his conversion. But the objection has to be immediate upon maturity, otherwise it cannot happen at a later time. To the question, how is it possible to nullify a conversion, we answer that his conversion as a child is just procedural, but not intentional sanctification. But as soon as he matures, if he doesn't declare his intention otherwise, he is immediately sanctified, even retroactively, with the holiness of his Jewishness, and nothing further is required of him procedurally. Similar, though not exactly, every circumcised convert who has not yet immersed can revert to his status as a non-Jew even if his blessings on conversion and circumcision have been made. In fact, the Rambam teaches that there is a delay between circumcision and immersion for this exact reason, to give him a chance to retract much discussion around this is found in the teachings of the Achreinim. 
in a similar vein here, the instruction of the angel that a razor not pass over his head, for he is sanctified to God from the womb, could not determine Naziris upon Shimshain. It could only obligate him in the procedural behaviors of a Nazir, not to cut his hair or consume wine. So too Hannah's vow that a razor will not pass over the locks of Shmuel as a vow that obligates the procedural behavior. In fact, Shmuel did not make this vow, and it cannot obligate this behavior. This was Hannah vowing to see to this behavior for all the days of her child's life. But then when they matured and did not nullify this and continued to live and fulfill these laws of Nazirus, they became fully sanctified as Nazirim, Shimshan retroactively prohibited from wine and cutting his hair, and Shmuel as a Nazir Eilam for all the days of his Nazirus. So while they did not make the verbal or evil, even intentional vow of Nazirus, as soon as it was not nullified in maturity and they continued with this behavior, they were designated retroactively as Nazirim and sanctified as such. Just as the example of a child who converts, who when in maturity does not nullify his conversion, requires no further procedures. Now we can look back at the opinion of Rabbi Nehorai, who learns Nazirus Shmuel, who learns that Shmuel was a Nazir from Shimshin, despite the fact that Shimshin was not a complete Nazir, and it was permitted for Shimshin to become impure within a dead body with a corpse. This is indeed a Gzeira Shava, and not a halfway lesson, as Gzeira Shava cannot be halfway, and it's not a lesson on the word Meira. Rabbi Nehorai teaches that when Shimshin did not object the behavior of his Nazirus and did not nullify this behavior when he matured, his status as Nazir became elevated and also was the sanctity of Nazirus elevated retroactively. And when Shmuel did not object the way his mother handled his behavior until then because of her vow, he too retroactively became sanctified as a Nazir. The significance then of Rabbi Nehorai's teaching is that when something is given continuance, it's the continuance that actually shows its significance and importance. And the lesson that teaches us this is the example of Rabbi saying to his son Chia, be quick to make the blessing, and so too says Rabbi Huna. So making the blessing is then seen to be greater than concurring with the blessing by answering Amen, much like when we say that Shmuel and Shimshon were Nazirim from the outset. The Gemara then continues and says, is this always the case? Then bringing the opinion of Rabbi Yesi and Rabbi Nehorai, who both say that Amen is more important, with Rabbi Nehorai swearing that this is so. In keeping with their opinion and discussion regarding the Naziris of Shimshon and Shmuel, this response points to a logical aspect of the dispute that exists 
in the opinion of Rabbi Nahorai and Rabbi Yaisi as to the difference in the Nazirus of Shimshon and Shmuel. Rabbi Yaisi is of the opinion that the Haskama, concurring, can only strengthen and add to what was, but cannot create a new status or element in what already exists. And thus his opinion is that Shimshon could become a Nazir only once he did not object to the behaviors. He had behaved so from the beginning because he was so instructed, but when he doesn't object, he still does not become a Nazir Gomor. The holiness of his Nazirus remains lacking. Versus the opinion of Rabbi Nahorai, who says that concurring with what was, does in fact renew the status and can even affect change beyond the original status. So Shmuel too becomes a sanctified Nazir when he doesn't object, even though before this time of maturity, Shmuel wasn't obligated to behave this way because it was Hannah's vow and only her obligation, therefore, to raise him this way. And though not objecting, and through not objecting, Shmuel becomes a Nazir Oilam. The logical inferences are seen in their response to the question of the strength of Amin. Rabbi Yaisi says, the one who answers Amin is greater. It adds to the original status of the blessing, but doesn't impact change or completion to the blessing. Reb Nuharai swears Bashamayim, emphasizing the strength and power of Amin, that it does indeed manifest change, and to this he adds the example of the warrior who can win the battle that the soldier can only begin. The soldiers represent the vow Hannah made, imposing no obligation on Shmuel, only on herself, like the one who makes the blessing, like the young child who can still affect his conversion, and object to it. The procedure is not complete, but Amen completes the blessing made like the warrior who wins the battle, like Shmuel who becomes a Nazir Oilam. Now, when we look at the conclusion of the tractate, Amar Abelazar, Amar Abchanina, Talmidei Chachomim Marbim Sholem Boilam, Shenem Avakol Bonayach Limudei Hashem, Rav Sholem Bonayach Rabbi Lazar says in the name of Rabbi Hanina, the students of the scholars, not just the scholars, but the students increase peace in the world. The scholars here refer to the Mishnaic scholars who wrote the Mishnah. Those who wrote the Mishnah, says the Gemara, Hatanayim Mavli Oilam, they caused erosion in the world because it's only upon their knowledge of Mishnah that they determined law. And the reasons for these determinations were not made clear and are not complete. So, two unrelated ideas in Mishnah could be compared and an erroneous determination made because of the lack of clarity. But their disciples, who then elaborated on their teachings and made them complete, are said to have brought peace to the world. As the opinion taught in Mishnah of Rabbi Yaisi and Rabbi Nahari regarding the Nazirus of Shmuel and Shimshon, an obligation made new and manifesting change in not negating their obligations and 
in Gemara in regards to answering Amin, concurring with Amin, bringing wholeness to blessing. So the blessing actually needs the Amin. So it is regarding the students of the Mishnaic scholars who needed the Mishnah, but then influenced peace in the world with their furtherance of the understanding of halacha. To understand the deeper association of the words of the Mishnah and the teaching of the Gemara, we want to look at why it is the discussion of Naziris that we explore to see how concurrence affects the outset. There are Torah prohibitions and boundaries, but a Nazir, in fact, accepts upon himself boundaries and prohibitions beyond what Torah requires, thereby bringing additional holiness into the world. As Chassidus explains, a Nazir draws down into Seder Hishtalshalus a flow that transcends it. Thus, Naziris, Naziris highlights the value of Mikavel over Mashpia, receiver over initiator, like the one who answers Amen over the one who makes the blessing. The one who blesses draws down a flow from above to below, revealing divine oneness from on high, and it's as though one causes transformation via this revelation. The one who responds with Amen, who concurs with a blessing with a flow, causes transformation below, Bending worldly urges to reveal this flow, causing a Yehuda Tata'a, divine oneness of and in this world. And though it is a bending and a revelation of this world, the one who answers Amen is greater than the one who blesses. The Yehuda Tata'a experience, the revelation of bending one's urges in this world, is greater than the Yehuda Ilah, the drawing down of a transcendent divine light from on high. The one, the Amen, is greater than, than the Bracha, the Yehuda Tata, greater with the Iskafia, the bending, than the Yehuda Ilah and the Ishapcha, the transformation. To understand the deeper association of the words of the Mishnah, and the teaching of the Gemara, we want to look at why it is the discussion of Nazirus that we explore to see how concurrence affects the outset. There are terror prohibitions and boundaries, but a Nazir, in fact, accepts upon himself boundaries and prohibitions beyond what terror requires, thereby bringing additional holiness into the world. As Chassidus explains, a Nazir draws down into Seder Hishtalshalus, a flow that transcends it. Thus, Nazirus highlights the value of Mikabel over Mashpia, receiver over initiator, like the one who answers Amen over the one who makes the blessing. The one who blesses draws down a flow from above to below, revealing divine oneness from on high, and it's as though one causes transformation via the revelation. The one who responds with Amen, who concurs with a blessing, with a flow, causes transformation below, bending worldly urges to reveal this flow, causing a Yehuda Tata, divine oneness of this world. And yet, in the Savaita of Amen, there are two levels. 
the level of now, our reality, when the world cannot be complete, and the essential value remains in ishapha, transformation over eskafya, that which we can do below. The other level is that of la'asid lovey, the time to come, when our divine service below will be revealed to be superior, because the purification of the world will be complete. Ruach hatuma avir min ha'aretz, impurity will be removed. Transformation will come through change in this world. Therefore, souls will be returned to bodies and the soul will nurture from the physical purified body. These are actually the two opinions of Rabbi Yaisi and Rabbi Nahorai. Rabbi Yaisi, whose name, Yaisi, is numerically equivalent to Shem Eloikim, or the word Hateva, 86, says the one who answers Amin is greater than the one who blesses, and when Shimshon didn't object, he added a level of sanctification above what the angel instructed. And indeed, there is a merit and value in the service below over the Mevorach, the flow from above. Yet, Yesi is a derivative of and connected to Yosef, which is Lashna Kedish, and thus points to a flow from above. And so, Yesi speaks to the current divine service. When the service cannot be complete, and we depend on the flow from above and the ishapcha transformation, so Shimshim did not achieve complete Nazirus. Rabbi Nahorai, on the other hand, is not a name in the holy tongue. Nahorai is a name in Aramaic, a foreign tongue, elevated in Torah. Yet, Nahorai means light in Aramaic. And so Rabbi Nahorai sees the value of the one who says Amen, reflective of the time to come, higher than the one who makes the blessing, the drawing down from heaven, the light that manifests below in a world refined and able to reveal the quality of the Aveda of this world, a change that comes by way of bending this world and a union of Yehuda Tata and Yehuda Ilah, lower unity and upper.